believe the captive is being set free. Amen. Hallelujah to his name. Hallelujah. Come on, the discipleship project is for you tonight. In Jesus' name, praise God. We are so excited for what God is doing tonight in this place in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just begin to praise him and exalt him tonight. We are believing that he is going to do great things. We accidentally left a microphone on, so maybe you could hear us praying tonight. But God was certainly in this place before service and, and before this time began to happen. And we were praying that he was inside of your household doing magnificent things there as well in Jesus' name. So if you can begin to lift up your hands, begin to lift up your voice unto him tonight. He wants to do the miraculous in your family's life. He wants to touch you and the people around you in Jesus' name. Let's just begin to cry out to him tonight. God, we are here tonight to believe that you are going to do the miraculous, Jesus. That whatever you have planned, God, we have put our agendas aside, God. We want to be filled with your word tonight, God. That your word would speak to every one of us, God, and fill our hearts with your knowledge and wisdom, God. We want to live for you, Jesus, and we want to be excited about your power in your presence. God, I pray that your spirit would pour into every household that is listening to this tonight, God. We believe by your authority that any hindrance has to go, God, and that through you tonight, Jesus, that we are going to be able to worship you in freedom, God, and experience your word and truth tonight. If you believe that, then let's praise him and thank him tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Well, praise God. We are excited that you are here with us tonight for the Discipleship Project, and we're excited about what God is going to do through this tonight. It is an incredible lesson. Um, I was getting fired up when I was studying for this tonight, and and I am just... uh, believing that God is going to do some wonderful things for you all tonight. And so I apologize, but since we um, had a little bit of a hiccup in the live stream, I have to refresh this here and get it to where I can see your comments again. So if you could be patient and give me just a second here while I pull this up on the computer, um, I will do that. And, uh, you know, we always have this technology stuff, and it just never seems to uh, want to work at certain points in time. But... Um, We are thankful that we do have it because uh, we're believing this is going to continue to work the rest of the night tonight. In Jesus' name. One other thing that I thought about right before the service tonight was the fact that um, we have a new lesson series here, yet uh, you all don't have the book for it. So um, I know that you all probably don't have the book to follow along tonight with, and so I apologize for that. It's not on the website um, yet, but I do have the papers. My mom so uh, wonderfully copied all of those, and so we will uh, print those out and, and have those for everybody so you can uh, download them and use them in your, your daily lives. I hope that those are a blessing to you, that you can take them 
and study them with your families that you can use them uh, for a devotional or a family time. I mean, it has so many good things inside of that for Sunday school and youth and, and even adults in, in the mix of that. I know our Sunday school department still uh, teaches that on, on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, whichever one. And so um, as a result, I would encourage you to ask your children what they have learned about. And I would encourage them to, uh, you know, search out the word of God and to seek his face. Um, in Jesus' name. But just a couple other quick announcements. I, uh, I don't know if you see, but we are back in the church here. And so last Wednesday, I asked you all to pray. And uh, we got the news Friday morning that the test came back negative. So I was able to be released from my household. I wasn't uh, con con contagious from the coworker who they thought may have had COVID. And so uh, that was an exciting thing that I was able to be uh, released in Jesus' name. And so thank you for praying and believing with me. Um, in that in Jesus name and then last but not least if you saw the video at the beginning of service tonight if you didn't see it you need to go back and watch it it's a promotional video for Pentecost Sunday this Sunday we are excited about Pentecost Sunday that is who we are as apostolics it is our foundation and so we are going to tap into a worldwide evangelism service. And so we are going to be participating in this while thousands of people around the world are participating in this. And uh, probably millions, as, as Pastor said, I, I, I absolutely believe it. And so we are going to stream that here during our normal services at church. And so if you see their stream pop up before service, I would encourage you to not watch it until you get here to church um, because we want to experience that all together, the move of God together um, in Jesus' name. And so we are going to play that when it is uh, when, when, uh, when we all get here and um, we will see how that works on Sunday morning and we will pick the best time, I guess, to play it during service and all of that. But um, we are excited about what God is going to do. We are going to celebrate and we're going to praise God for what he is going to do. If you need the Holy Ghost, this would be a wonderful Sunday to get the Holy Ghost because there is a lot of history um, behind this, this Sunday that I can't go into, but it's the day of Pentecost, or it's a Pentecost celebration of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell and filled an entire upper room with the Holy Ghost for the very first time in this, this world as we know it, 120, and then it eventually went on to thousands just a, a short while later. And so God is wanting to spread his spirit throughout this, this world around us, and we are believing that he is going to do that. Invite your friends to come. Um, we will put the promotional video on our Facebook page, so share it. Um, it's about a minute and a half long, but it is powerful. It will invite you in and draw you in and get you excited about what God is going to do. And so we are believing that tonight, and uh, we're going to believe it for this Sunday in Jesus' name. So join us in fasting and prayer between now and then that God would do that, and we are excited. I guess the last thing that I should say on that is that we likely will not be able to put it out over our live stream. Um, so we will put a link out there to where you can tap into it through their live stream um, because we can't bring it into the church and then push it back out. Our internet isn't great enough to do that. And so we have to either bring it in or push it out, whichever one uh, works. And so we are going to bring it into the house of the Lord. And uh, so you all, will, if you can't make it to the building, you'll have to tap in um, another way through that in Jesus' name. Yes. Yes. Worship and everything just as normal. This Sunday, yes, and lots of praise. I'm thankful to have church back in store, and we are excited about that. We're looking at Sunday school, we're looking at Wednesday nights, and believe me, um, we're just trusting the Lord, and we're believing and having faith in Him uh, in these services, in Jesus' name. So we are going to dive into our lesson tonight. This is an incredible lesson, and it's a very powerful lesson. I want you 
when we enter this lesson, again, like I have said on so many of these others, I want you to be willing to have your heart open unto what God wants to say to you tonight. Because we, we, um, we completely mess things up when we try to say, well, God, I'm going to let in what I need in, but I'm going to push away what I think others might need. It does you such a disservice to do that in any service, um, if you think that way or if you do things that way. I, I have always tried to make a mandate in my personal life that when I come to service and, and it, uh, I'm listening to somebody speak or whatever, no matter how new or how uh, experienced they are in their preaching, that I want to learn or I want to hear what God wants to say to me through that message. not I, I don't want to hear what God wants to say to somebody else in the church through that message. I mean, that's great and it excites me just as much, but I want to hear what God wants to speak to me through that service. I want to take every word that that preacher is speaking and apply it to my life. And so that is something that I have mandated. So I would encourage you throughout this lesson to not say, well, I don't need that portion, but I do like this portion over here. But to say, no, God, whatever you are going to feed me with tonight, I want it all because it is scriptural and it is truth. And I want it to pour into my life. And so we are going to start a new series here tonight. And again, I know you don't have the questions with you, but I will be asking you some questions and I will try to give you time to respond to those since you don't have them in front of you. But we are going to be speaking about contending for the faith in these next series, contending for the faith. And so tonight, we're going to start out with a little bit of history, and don't get lost in that. Don't begin to tune out in this thing, because it's going to be powerful by the end of this message tonight. But I, I, I just want to encourage you that God is going to show you some things here. And so we are going to learn about faith that is unwavering. I think, again, all of us could say that we desire this faith that is unwavering, meaning that it isn't disappearing during certain circumstances, but it is always there and it is ready and it is available to let the things of God happen in our lives in Jesus' name. And so faith unwavering. So let's look at this scripture here in 1 Timothy 1 and 5. It says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. A faith unfeigned. Pretty incredible words there and words that we're going to search out here tonight. It says this at the beginning of this lesson, that John the Baptist was a voice crying in the wilderness. Like a salmon swimming upstream in the cold waters of the Northwest, John was not afraid to go against the culture of his day. He had the spirit of Elijah. He stood for righteousness when the political leaders were wicked and hostile to a righteous message. John started preaching in the wilderness. He did not preach in a church or in a synagogue. He preached in the desert, beside rivers, and in the beating sun. His message was unequivocal. Repent. The clarity and boldness of this message drew large crowds. John's preaching and influence got the attention of King Herod. And before long, John was testifying before this king. Some may have tempered their message in this context, watered down the absolute nature of this declaration, but not John the Baptist. He was unwavering in his faith, and even as he stood before the king, he proclaimed these things. John had the moral authority to declare to the king that he was not living right. King Herod respected John for this and observed that John was a just and a holy man, the king even admired John and gave him audience. The preaching of John drew the admiration of some and the wrath of others. 
But John did not let fear determine the message that he would speak. The fear of imprisonment and even death did not force John to falter. He stood strong. He was an example to all of us that unwavering faith amid threats and persecution is a testimony to the truth that we hold dear. Jesus held John as an example to all of us that if we are to be strong in our faith, regardless of the circumstances, we will declare our lifestyle, the moral sovereignty of our message. John preached the same gospel in the wilderness as he did in the palace. The steadfastness of his preaching awoke the people to the justice of God. And John was somebody who we all want to desire to be like. Somebody who we need to say, man, that guy had it down. And I want unwavering faith like John had to stand before a king and proclaim the things of God. Because I think if we are all honest and we say, man, you know what? If I was standing before the king or the president of the United States or the president of some other country around this world and they were asking me about how they were doing as far as their relationship with God, it might be kind of difficult for, from, for some of us to say, well, man, you know what? You haven't received the gift of the Holy Ghost and there's still more for you to do. You haven't been baptized and there's still more for you to do. But if we are to be like Jesus and to be like John and be like Elijah, then we can begin to say, man, I desire faith that is unwavering. Faith that is not going to stop in certain circumstances, but faith that is going to carry me through certain circumstances in Jesus' name. And so we've mentioned John, but what about Elijah? We, we have this, this man here who we know, we, we say the spirit of Elijah. We, we speak about how he did these incredible things inside of the Old Testament. And absolutely, he did some amazing things. We see that Elijah was able to stand for righteousness in the face of wickedness over and over and over again, we see him confront hundreds of people that are worshiping idols, hundreds of people that want to kill him and pursue him. He's willing to stand strong with a faith that is unwavering. But it's interesting because there's a particular circumstance where Elijah eventually becomes weary. Where Elijah is doing these incredible things, his faith has not wavered him up to this particular point in time. But eventually there's a certain queen that begins to put a mandate out and he decides that, man, I'm not going to be able to survive what these people are saying against me and they want to kill me, they want to take my life, so I, I need to flee. And Elijah became wary in the faith that he was serving God with. And so Elijah fled to the mountain and he was inside of a cave. And if you know this story in First Kings, you will see that Elijah was inside of this cave and God comes up to Elijah and three different times within that chapter, God asks him a question about what are you doing here, Elijah? Something along those lines. Or what doest thou here, Elijah? God is questioning Elijah and saying, Elijah, what are you doing inside of this cave? You've had this faith, this, this, these wonderful things happening outside of here. What are you doing inside of this cave? And it's interesting that God asks him that question Three different times. And if you know that scripture, you know that it says that, that the, the, there was a fire and that there was wind and there was an earthquake. But God was not in any of those. However, God spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice. And that is what Elijah heard. You see, sometimes with faith unwavering, we may grow weary in our well-doing, as scripture says that we are to avoid. 
Like Elijah, there's times that we may face circumstances that are intimidating to us or people around us that are saying, man, you need to shut down that thing that you are preaching and proclaiming. You may begin to face family or circumstances around you that are telling you that over and over again. Or maybe you watch videos on YouTube and and you watch the television and you see these things happening and these people saying, well, God is not real and you need to step away from him. You know, it has been a a great disheartening thing for me to have these major Christian bands doing this crazy thing where their lead singers are now professing that they do not believe in God. It begins to show you why it is so essential to have an apostolic depth to everything that we preach and teach and we have about us. And I hate to say it, but those people, the many of those that are proclaiming that did not have any such thing of the infilling of the Holy Ghost to experience and to know that there is a God that is alive and well and wants to work through them. Unfortunately, they are making a stand in front of our youth and in front of people around them that have worshipped almost in a sense their rock bands that are Christian and these sort of things. And they are now stepping away saying that God is not existent in this world. Maybe you are looking to something like that and you are saying, well, man, is this God real? Is this thing actually out here? But let me tell you this, that you may grow weary, but like Elijah, you don't need to give up on God because he is going to come to that cave. He is going to come to that place that you are at. Even when you you speak a message that begins to offend many different people and they are after you and they are hot on your, your heels trying to come after you for the things that you begin to speak, God will come into your life and begin to fill you with his spirit and begin to draw you out of that cave. And, and just like Elijah, he was able to send him on his way and, and create somebody who was even more powerful than him at that particular circumstance. Because the next verse, Elijah comes out of that cave, he goes down, and he meets Elijah, who would become the next prophet, the person who would stand in his stead and begin to witness to many more people inside of those circumstances. We see as apostolics, we must have a faith that is unwavering. A faith that is unwavering. And if you stand here tonight and you are honest and you're saying, man, you know what, my, way, my, my faith has seemed to be wavering over these past few months or days and these circumstances that I am going through. I'm here to say tonight that God wants to make your faith unwavering right here, this minute, tonight. Actually, if you could lift your hands and if you could begin to pray that tonight, that desire, begin to make it known unto God that like Elijah and John, you want a faith that is unwavering in your household tonight. Jesus, I believe it that by the authority of your name that you are pouring that into households, God, that there is an unwavering faith, God, that is going to be instilled in these people, Lord, that they are going to walk out of this stronger, Lord, with an authority and a power to speak your word in truth, no matter who is around, no matter what is discouraging them. But Jesus, it is by you, Lord, that they are strengthened through this tonight, in Jesus' name, hallelujah, hallelujah. I can feel it with you tonight. I can feel it with you tonight in Jesus' name. But you see, God will put others in our path sometimes that will bring strength to us. Elijah strengthened Elijah, the prophet, an incredible man of God. God will put people in our lives that are meant to strengthen us. And so we see this in our first point tonight, and I understand you will have to write this down in order for it to work, but let's see here. There we go. Now it's working. Both John and Elijah stood for righteousness despite political pressure 
to compromise. Even though Elijah had grown weary in what he was doing, he did not give up and begin to throw in the towel and throw in everything that God had done for him at that particular time. He did not begin to compromise on Scripture because he was growing weary in the things of the Lord. He still stood for righteousness and the things that he knew were right in that particular time. It begins to speak some things that are very strong to us that, man, we may grow weary in some circumstances, but don't compromise on the things you know that God has given to you. Don't compromise on Jesus' name baptism. Don't compromise on his scripture. Don't compromise on being filled with his spirit. Don't give up on those things in weary times. You see, these times that Elijah and John and even that we face today, they're not something that's brand new in today's world. Actually, if you begin to look back into the biblical times, you will see that over and over again, they experienced wickedness that was probably much more wicked than what we experience here today. Their billboards professed things that were much wilder than what our billboards professed. The culture was completely different. And I'm going to show that here, you, here, here to you tonight. And this is the part where I want to tell you, don't tune out on this because I'm going somewhere with it. But ultimately, we may experience pressure from our civil leaders and from employers or even family members to compromise our faith. But God will come to our rescue if we are willing to take a stand. We contend for the faith when we refuse to give up or to give in. We contend for the faith that is unwavering when we refuse to give up or to give in to what this world wants us to give into. So I said that this is nothing new, so let me show this to you a little bit here tonight. The church in Ephesus, they hated the same thing that the Lord hated, the doctrine and the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They hated the same thing that God hated. Now I want to ask you a question before I begin to explain this tonight. But should we also hate the things that God hates and why? Should we also hate the things that God hates and why? That is your first question for tonight. So you can post it in the comment box. And we are going to believe that tonight in Jesus' name. That uh, God is going to use this in Jesus' name. Do you believe that we should also hate the things that God hates and why? And if you want to leave the why off, you certainly can. If you don't have uh, the room or the place to begin to explain some of these things. But do you think we should hate similar things to, that, that, that God hates? And I, I have given you somewhat of a hint here. Maybe you know about these scriptures. Maybe you know about these people, the Nicolaitans and what they were involved with in different places that they, they went to. But it's an incredible thing. I think it's going to be eye-opening to us tonight. Actually, I believe it is, and um, I know that God is going to use it through his wonderful name. Just have to make sure I'm not frozen here. I haven't seen any responses come through yet. Maybe, maybe somebody's not, nobody's brave enough yet that we will see who the first brave soul is to be streamed on the live stream tonight in Jesus' name. Should we hate the things that God hates? It's a pretty, pretty tough question. Um, you know, throwing it out here, actually, it's a blunt. You got to take a stand on one side or the other. Sister Carnahan, first brave soul tonight in Jesus' name. She said, yes, 
God wants us to have the same mind that he had. And when he walked this earth, the same mind that he had when he walked this earth, Sister McAdam says, yes, because it is not his will. And Sister Miller says, yes, because if we don't hate them, it will draw us away from him. Brother Wheeler says, yes, we should, because if we get involved with things that God hates, it could draw us away and may lose out on salvation. Brother Crow, yes, we're, we are to hate sin. Absolutely. I, I agree with those comments in Jesus' name. Absolutely. Yes, you all, you all answered it correctly, that we are to hate what God uh, hates himself, that we are to hate that. And now in the, the, the scripture here, I, I didn't have time to research and delve into a lot of this here, but I don't know that in particular it's necessarily saying that God hates the people as much as it is saying that God hates the spirit of the Nicolaitans, of those people that they were bringing to the particular circumstance that was there. So we must be very careful about saying that we hate someone um, compared to hating the spirit that may be coming behind them. Them. We have to be careful with that, and I wanted to address that tonight as well. And so these Nicolaitans, who are they? Well, we don't know for sure exactly where they came from, but what a lot of philosophers believe is that this man named Nicholas, that he, uh, in the scripture, in, in Acts um, chapter 6 and verse 5, I'm sorry, I didn't highlight this, so I'm trying to find it here in my notes, that they were spiritual descendants of him, of Antioch. And you will see in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5 that this is when he was ordained a deacon uh, for the church. And so he was not born a Jew, but he had converted from paganism to Judaism. And then later on, you see that he converted from Judaism into Christianity. And so some people believe that these Nicolaitans were actually followers of him. And so he came from a paganistic lifestyle where philosophy and things ruled inside of this context. Now, let me tell you why this is a big deal. So in part B here, we see this, that the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, it was a doctrine of compromise when you begin to look at it. This was a doctrine of compromise. Ephesus and per, uh, per, Pergamos, I think is how you say that name, Pergamos, Ephesus and Pergamos, two cities that were absolutely evil. These were cities given over to the occult, and they were unbridled in pagan worship. These were the cities where the altar of Zeus was located, if you have heard about Zeus. I'm sure you have. Actually, Irenaeus, in AD 180, Irenaeus, who was a post-apostolic father, or somebody who came after the scriptures had already been formed, he said this about these two cities. He said there was an overindulgence of the flesh. In other words, if it feels good, then you are to do it. That's what he began to proclaim about these two cities, that that is all that they were about, is the idols making sure that your flesh feels good and that you do what you want inside of those cities because there is no rule against doing the good and prosperous and fun thing inside of there. However, there was rule against Christianity, against the word of God and the things that God wanted to begin to claim. And so another person, Hippolytus, Hippolytus these names are horrible, I'm thankful that you all did not name any of your children these names, and so I didn't have to speak them inside of the, the youth group. But Hippolytus, he said this about it, another post-apostolic leader, somebody who's like us, who came after the scripture was wrote. He said this doctrine was a doctrine of compromise. 
implying some saw total separation between Christianity and the practice of paganism as not being essential. That some saw that they could be just as involved in the paganism as they were involved in the church service on Sunday morning. That these people of this time, and, and Hippolytus and Irenaeus were in this time, they just came after the apostles. They were during this, this same time period. They're saying that, man, people were okay with being involved in the worldly things, saying that they could go and do whatever they wanted to do, but still be involved in a Sunday service and, and feel good about being a Christian and that sort of thing. That they were saying that people were involved in two different worlds. You see, occultism was a major force that warred against the early church, the church that you and I are now a part of. But occultism, it was a force that warred against this church, trying to take it down. Ephesus, again, one of these cities we see, but this was the primary object, or this was the primary place of occult worship, that this was the city to go to if you were to be involved in idol worship. And in the city of per uh, Pergamos, there was numerous dark and sinister forms of occultism, things that I would be embarrassed to say across this platform if we begin to speak about what actually happened in some of these cities. Pergamos, it was to be one of the most wicked cities in history of the ancient world when you begin to look it up. But let me read this to you. In both of these cities, believers were lamb-blasted and persecuted fiercely by adherents of pagan religions. They were forced to contend with paganism on a level far beyond all other cities. You know, I am thankful that we don't have to walk down the city street and see people bowing down to idols in the middle of our city block. I mean, I know that the world is getting wicked. I know that we're drawing closer and closer to God coming back and, and to things happening inside of our world. But I am thankful that we did not have the same circumstances as some of these early Christians. That they walked down these streets and as people were bowing down to these idols and when they began to refuse to bow down to these idols, when people began to spot them and see that they were the ones speaking about God's spirit and that they were meant to be separated from that stuff, then those around them began to grab them and they were beaten and they were throwing that stones and thrown in jail and all kinds of crazy stuff that thankfully cannot happen to us up to this point in America and the United States uh, around us. It seems to me that we have it quite well as a result of it. What if somebody says, well, you can't have a job because of your apostolic lifestyle? Or what if somebody begins to tell you that, man, you can't buy a car, you can't drive a car? What if they told you you couldn't buy your house because you're an apostolic? Well, that's what these Christians were facing at this particular time, that their money transactions, the food they would buy, everything they faced they were coming up against these pagan people that says, man, you can still be a Christian, but just dabble a little bit in this. It doesn't matter if you have this piece. Of, you know, you, you can still have just a little piece, just a little piece of gold or, or jewelry or whatever it may be. It's okay to dabble in both of these worlds and you'll be just fine as a result of it. But it seems that this doctrine of the Nicolaitans was that it was all right to have one foot in each world. And a person need not to be strict about separation from the world in order to be a Christian. It led to a weak version of Christianity that was without power, 
and without conviction, a defeated worldly type of Christianity. And we still see it today. Before I speak any more to this, I want to ask you another question. Is silence in the face of unrighteousness a compromise? Is silence in the face of unrighteousness a compromise? I'll say it one more time. Is silence in the face of unrighteousness a compromise? And that's a pretty strong question when you begin to think about it. Is silence a compromise in the face of unrighteousness? In Jesus' name. Let's see here. Brother Brown says amen. Praise the Lord. I'm saying amen as well. We serve a powerful God in Jesus' name. Yes. can get some water here. Thankful for water in Jesus' name. Yes. Silence in the face of unrighteousness is a compromise. Let's see here. Sister Carnahan says, it could be if your silence is seen as acceptance. Yeah, I think that's the great way to put it. There's a time to hold your tongue, and there's a time to speak up. And... Uh, I like how you put that, Sister Carnahan, because I think there's times that even in unrighteousness, it's, we're not meant to argue with people. You aren't going to get anywhere with trying to argue the doctrine with, with people around you. It's just not going to go anywhere if somebody wants to argue with you. So at that time, it could be a better chance to hold your tongue in the silence there. I think we would all agree with that, and I'm believing that that's all what you will all say as well. And as these come up, I, I will read them some more in Jesus' name, but I'm going to continue forward as this lesson has a few more points here. So you see the doctrine of compromise. It can be defeated with unwavering faith in the word of God. These people were in a circumstance where they were saying you could live in both times, that you could still sin and still be a Christian in these things here, or you know, willingly sin. I understand that we still fall into sin at various times and that sort of stuff, but that does not mean that we shouldn't stand against it and try to fight it on a daily basis. But the way that we overcome these compromises or these things around us, the way that we overcome people telling us that it is okay to defy certain things in Scripture, the way that we overcome a world around us and churches around us who have said that it is okay to, to dabble in, in certain things, as long as you believe in the Lord Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, then you will be saved. It, it, the way that we defeat those things is by having an unwavering faith in the Word of God. That God desires every one of us to get into his scripture. He desires every one of us to begin to know him. He desires every one of us to have a faith that is strong enough that we can stand against the things around us in this world. You see, when we really love God and the word of God, then we will hate the things that are against God and that are against his word. The word of God will convict us and force us to live a life that is uncompromising. It will move us out of the middle and it will force us to break ungodly alliances that should not be holding on to our lives. 
You see, tonight again, this is why I wanted to pray at the beginning that we could begin to say, well, I'm doing just fine and this message is for other people. No, this message is for me. I want to break every alliance that I have with anything in this world that is detracting from God or taking me away from who he is. I want to break alliances with anything that is causing me to have a wavering faith that is not good, but I want to have an unwavering faith when I go into battle and into circumstances around me in Jesus' name. David Myers, the person who wrote this lesson here tonight, he tells this story. He says, in my senior year of law school, I worked in the public defender's office in our local courthouse. Many times when I interviewed clients, they would say things like, well, I didn't even go into the store. I don't know if Johnny pulled a gun or not. I was sitting in the car and I didn't even want to be there. I just thought he was going into the store to get a pack of cigarettes. I hated to be the bearer of bad news, but I would have to explain that just with the person doing the wrong behavior or just being with the person that is doing the wrong behavior is equivalent of doing the wrong behavior yourself because the law assumes agreement and sees them as co-conspirators. We do not tolerate harm coming into our homes or to our bodies. We do not tolerate being treated improperly. We do not tolerate people coming into our homes and stealing our possessions. And we should never tolerate, we should never tolerate alliances and philosophies that mitigate the truth of God's word and the righteous nature of our God. We should have zero tolerance for those things. We should not even begin to consider them the things of this world. But when we begin to read it in the word of God, we should instantly begin working on it, saying, God, it may take a step now and a step tomorrow for me to begin to take this whole picture, but I am going to begin to move forward because I am not going to tolerate the things that people tell me inside of this world. It was the exact reason that in all of my job circumstances that I will not tolerate doing certain things just because my boss has asked me to do them. But if it is against the word of God, then I will not participate. I will not do it. I do not want to have any part of it because I want to have an unwavering faith in God and who he is. And so how do we build this unwavering faith inside of us, you might be asking tonight. Well, let me show you where unwavering faith comes from. That it's based on a pure heart. Unwavering faith comes from a pure heart. The pure heart is really the place that you have to begin to work on this and say, well, you know what, I am going to let everything that I thought I knew, I'm going to let that go behind. I'm going to take down all of the guards that I have put up inside of my heart, and I'm going to let God reveal his word and his truth to me. You see, John the Baptist was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, not just because he was willing to preach an unpopular message of righteousness, but because he was willing to decrease, because he was willing to decrease and give place for the ministry of Jesus to increase. John knew that he needed to decrease to let, his, to let Jesus increase. You see, Paul was teaching his student Timothy in the scripture that we read that it was imperative to keep his heart protected so his faith would stay strong. Jesus declared 
John to be the greatest of the prophets because John spoke uncompromising words of truth that revealed a pure heart inside of him. Unwavering faith is based on a conviction in the core of our being that we stand strong or that what we stand strong for is worthy of the necessary sacrifices that we may be going through in this life. And so I'm going to ask you another question here tonight, and maybe I can read some of your past responses. But how does Christ-like humility place us in the vast minority in today's culture? How does Christ-like humility place us in the vast minority in today's culture? So how does Christ-like humility place us in the minority of today's culture? Let's see if you have some responses here tonight. And Sister Miller said that I agree with Sister C on that last question. My mom said amen to those things there in Jesus' name. This is a scripture tonight that I understand can be right up in your face if you have not experienced it before. But man, it, it, it just comes from such a depth inside of me because I, I get so tired of people who... Um, I don't get tired of people, but I get tired of Satan taking people who have been so strong in the Lord and stringing them out over so many different places that they eventually say, well, I don't believe in God and that he can do all of these great things. I don't want to see that happen to anybody. I don't want to see anybody walk away from the kingdom of God, but I want every person to have that unwavering faith that is going to hold them through every circumstance that they begin to face and that they are challenged with in Jesus' name. Yes, absolutely. So having a Christ-like humility, placing us in the vast minority of today's culture, how does it do that? See what this comes up with. I know this is a tough question. Oh, we have YouTube. Uh, first comment on YouTube ever that I've read from Sister Nofsker. I think it depends on if you've uh, prompted by the Holy Ghost to hold your peace. Yes, that must be an answer to the last question. Absolutely, Sister Nofsker. Sorry, I'm so focused on Facebook that I didn't see YouTube pop up there. Brother Wheeler, American mentality says that you look out for number one, which is yourself. That being humble is weak. Yes, they, they, they say that. that. Being humble is weak. The last guy, or the, 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 the nice guy finishes last, right? Um, you hear these comments all over the place. These things that are going on. Yes, that's a great answer. Brother Wheeler, that, that, that is our mentality. Those are things. And by the end of this lesson, um, if you're like me, um, you will see that that is coming through and shining bright. I'm going to continue forward because I have some more points to hit. And, and I want to get into so much on this here. But it says this, that unwavering faith is a faith based on a clean conscience. That unwavering faith is a faith based on clean conscience. And if you remember that scripture that we read at the beginning of this, it spoke about conscience, but then it spoke about having a faith unfeigned. You see, John knew his words before King Herod would be confining the body, but liberating to the soul. John knew that what he was going to speak there could irritate somebody beyond daylights, but he also knew the words that he was going to speak would be absolutely liberating to not only his soul, but it potentially to King Herod's if he allowed it to be that way. Unwavering faith gives us more than some sense 
of purpose, but it gives us a peace in our innermost being that steers us away from emotional turmoil and emptiness. That's why when I first started speaking, believe me, and I spoke a message that, that, that God would anoint me with, and, and I felt, man, God, you know, it's, it's hitting people between the eyes, and I don't want to speak that. And I would go home and kind of beat myself up a little bit later on in, in the night, and just like, man, you know, what are people going to think about that? What if they leave the church? What if they, they, you know, this and that, and just going down this list? But it was a pity party that I wasn't meant to be a part of. Because you see, when we speak the truth, when we deliver the word of God the way that he wants us to speak it to our family and to our neighbors, when we live the lives that he wants us to live, it, it doesn't matter if people around us are beginning to smirk or make comments or walking this direction or that direction. You can sleep peacefully at night knowing and understanding that God has put an unwavering faith inside of you that is meant to represent him in an incredible way, just like John did before King Herod. John could have went to sleep that night saying, man, I wonder if King Herod is going to kill me and this and that about what he had spoken. But no, John very likely went to bed that night saying, man, I spoke what the word of God told me to speak. I spoke it to the king. And even though it may have been blunt and real there, I spoke it with love for him. And so I can sleep peacefully tonight knowing that. Righteousness forces us to confront sin. Intolerance, it is not happiness. Silence is not golden when it's faced with ungodliness. Taking a stand keeps our spirits clean. A clean conscience conflicts with iniquity. Let me show you some scripture here in Genesis 3 and 15 that it says this, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You see enmity in this scripture it means hatred or hostility. It is where the word enemy actually begins to come from. Unwavering faith knows that taking a stand for righteousness will not be a popular decision. But you may very well begin to see en enemies that begin to rise up in your life. Again, I'm not battling the people who are around me, and I pray for them daily that their eyes would be open to the revelation of Jesus Christ. But I am absolutely going to go down on my knees and pray for that spirit that comes behind some people and tries to attack this apostolic faith. I am not going to back down from it, but I am going to stand firm upon it, saying that you must repent. You must be baptized in Jesus' name. You must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost because these are the things that are true, and you see it all throughout Scripture. It is proven, and it is alive and well. I will not compromise with my righteousness and begin to listen to music that I am not meant to listen to. I will not begin to watch things that I am not meant to watch, but these are things that we cannot compromise in. I will not dress certain ways. I will not participate in certain activities. These are the things that God has said don't compromise in them because you cannot live in Christianity and in these things of the world and have both of them and have unwavering faith at the same time. If you want to be able to stand, then you must be willing to stand in the midst of circumstances circumstances that are tough. We see this with the three Hebrew young men when they refused to compromise their faith despite the fact that they had no guarantee of deliverance. They had no thought that they would be delivered from this fiery furnace. However, they stood instead of bowing to the idol that was before them. They said it does not matter if God answers us. 
This is who we are, and this is how we are going to live, that we will stand that. Let's change that for our lives tonight, that it does not matter if God answers us, but I, this is who I am. This is how I am going to live. You see, faith based on immediate, on an immediate answer is not faith at all. If you think you have faith because of an immediate answer inside of your life, that is not true faith. But faith comes when you're going through the matter and you say, you know what? I'm still going to trust God. I still know that he is here in my circumstance to change what is seen around me in Jesus' name. Actually, if you look at the story of Elijah, I just did a devotional last night for an AYC group where I spoke about how the servant only saw the physical enemy that had surrounded them. However, Elijah got up and he was able to see the spiritual aspect of what God was going to do because he had faith that was unwavering. He was willing to open his eyes to what God was going to do in that circumstance. It takes unwavering faith to get through some of these things. And so I want to remind you tonight we are not entitled to anything from God. Let me ask you this question. What if God does not get you a new job? What if God does not heal your body? What if God does not answer? What if God, and you could put your own phrase in these things, you could try to answer these questions, however. But we can learn from the three Hebrews here. We can put these phrases in our mouths. We will still not bow. We will still walk with God. We will still believe. We will still love. We can begin to proclaim these things inside of our life. Even when we're faced with whatever people trying to come up with these things that are convincing and proving things that we can't necessarily prove or wrong or right inside of our Bible and all that sort of stuff. You know, in reality, the comment, it's not a heaven or hell issue, that, that thing should be so washed out of our minds and out of our vocabulary that it's far down the road. I don't care if it's a heaven or hell issue. If God has asked me to do it, if God has begun to speak to me through my pastor to do that, then man, I am going to listen to it. And I am going to do that because I want unwavering faith I want to have a sincere heart about me that says I'm doing this unto God and I'm not just doing it because I want to have a lovely life in this world, but man, I want to have a lovely life with God. I want to experience Him. Living in His Spirit is so much greater than living in all the pleasures of this world and all the millionaires and billionaires can try to prove us and say that that is completely wrong, but it's proven that even with numerous amounts of money that you still are never satisfied, that you're just buying more expensive things, so it doesn't it matter if there's more money. But man, I want to have sincerity in me. Because this says here tonight that unwavering faith, that it's a sincere faith. Wavering faith, it comes from being sincere about what you believe in. And if you don't feel sincere about what you believe in tonight, then it's time that you just begin to ask God to help you do some soul searching. And it's okay. We've all been there. We've all been in that place. I still have to go back at certain times and say, God, am I doing what I am doing out of a sincere mindset? 
Am I doing this because I, I want to bring glory to myself or am I doing it because I want to bring glory to you? It's okay to search yourself weekly, daily and say, God, I want to have a sincere heart inside of me. It's okay to say, God, I have messed up and I've been doing things completely wrong and saying things and doing things to please other people when I should have been pleasing you. It's okay to do that. So if you are in that place tonight, please don't feel bad because I have to search myself daily to look for those things. We must have that sincere faith if we want an unwavering faith inside of us. Though John asked Jesus if he were the Messiah, what he was really asking him was this question. If you are the Messiah, then why am I in prison? You can find it in Luke 7 and 19. But if you, Jesus, are the Messiah, then how come I am still locked up in this prison? How come the doors haven't flown open? But you see in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. It's saying it's not going to be the things that you can see around you. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the things that are coming, but yet you cannot physically grasp them right now. Job said this, and I guess the scripture is up here, says that though, man, that is small. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite shall not come before him. And it goes on to say, behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doeth work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is saying some strong things here. He is saying that I cannot physically feel God. I cannot sense God. I have looked for him. I have prayed for him. I have searched for him. And I am going through the worst time of my life right now. And God doesn't seem to be anywhere in the midst of it. However, going through this, I know that God still has me in his hands and I'm going to come forth as gold. You talk about unwavering faith. Job is the epitome of this in this particular circumstance that he was going through. An absolute disaster that would cause many of us to give up on God. He said, I am not going to give up on God. But you know the reason he was able to say that was because he was prepared. He started now. He started in a Bible study. He started in the place where he said, you know what? I desire the this unwavering faith and starting tonight into tomorrow, I am not going to back down. I am not going to get discouraged from the word of God, but I am going to let it encourage me daily. Job was beginning to prepare himself for these circumstances so that when Satan himself began to tempt him, he was able to say, you know what? It does not matter that I cannot sense God in the midst of this temptation. However, I still know that I will come forth as gold in the midst of this circumstance. It's mighty powerful when you begin to think about it in Jesus' name. This is unwavering faith. It is trust. It is a sincere faith in God. And so this question, you do not have to answer it on Facebook tonight because it could be somewhat personal. But what are some situations that have caused you to question your faith? What are some places that have caused you to question your faith? I think we could all think of different places and things 
that might have caused us to do that. But you see, sincere faith, it comes from an honest heart. And John the Baptist, I, I read this earlier, and I know that I, I, I went to Job here real quick. But John, I'm not fast-forwarding this. I need to remember to do that. Sincere faith comes from an honest heart. But you see, John the Baptist in this place, if you are the Messiah, then why am I in prison? You see, he faced his greatest trial as he sat in jail. He had done this incredible preaching and, and preparing the way for this Jesus. Yet while this Jesus was out there, he was inside of jail and he was hearing the rumors of what Jesus was doing. He was hearing the powerful things that were happening. He had paved this way for Jesus' ministry to prosper and he was hopeful that he could see that ministry prosper. However, when that time had come, he was sitting in jail and he wasn't able to see all these miracles that Jesus was doing and these things that had happened. You see, John's humanity kicked in as he sat on death row. He wondered, is Jesus really the one? And if so, then why am I still in prison? The messengers who went to Jesus with questions from John were not rebuked by Jesus when they asked him these questions. Instead, we see that Jesus responded in this scripture here. He says, I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What a powerful, powerful scripture that Jesus did not send them away. He did not say, well, John needs to stop having that, that, that thing inside of the jail. He needs to stop being disappointed in there. But he says, man, this guy, he is the one that is the greatest prophet, that there will not be a greater prophet than this man. Why did Jesus say that about him? Because you see, he had unwavering faith in his life. It does not mean that you won't grow weary. It does not mean that you won't grow discouraged in some circumstances, but you can still have unwavering faith. Unwavering faith is faith that comes from an honest heart comes in a place in us that says, God, you know what? I don't have this in control. You know what, God, even though the scientists are saying this or that, even if science came out today and said somehow that they had proven evolution as being a true theory, I'm sorry, but my unwavering faith is going to say, I am not going to trust in that because it does not line up with the scripture that is here. Even if my friends called me and said, hey, you need to listen to this hip new song that has all these other whoop de doop and that sort of thing inside of it, and you need to listen to this hip new song to learn about whatever and, and that sort of thing and, and wicked stuff, and there's wickedness inside of it, I, I'm going to stay away from that because I know that it defies the scripture that is before me. I know that it could cost me an unwavering faith. You see, to build this up inside of you, to have that sincere heart, it begins to just grow inside of you to where you can be inside of the grocery store and minister and witness to people. You can be riding in an elevator inside of a hotel and begin to speak to somebody and God gives you that green light and you know it's the moment that you are to speak to them in Jesus' name. I learned that very quickly in my last job that when God gives that green light, don't bypass it, don't walk around it, but it's time to have unwavering faith and begin to speak about the things of God. I think there is no, no coincidence that there was somebody who walked up to me in the hospital parking lot in the middle 
of the morning and they immediately begin to attack apostolics. They had no clue who I was. I was walking outside of the, the emergency room doors after I had dropped somebody off at the hospital and I was walking back to my car and this person confronted me and immediately began to speak things about the apostolic faith. Had no idea who I was. Why on earth would they choose me out of an entire hospital full and, and whatever to begin to speak these things? You see, I believe that there was something that was much more sinister that was there. There was something that, that was much stronger there that God was beginning to show me that now is the time to have your unwavering faith. I briefly confronted that person and I said, well, I am exactly who you are speaking about at this moment. And they began to kind of growl at me and do this scoff and they turned and walked away and I did not see where that person went in the middle of the night. I don't think that there's any coincidence that some of that stuff begins to happen. You see, we can be challenged, but if we have unwavering faith, we do not have to be discouraged by those people. We do not have to be intimidated by those people or those spirits, I should be saying. We do not have to be intimidated by those things that are around us trying to take this from us in Jesus name but we are to stand firm on this word of God stand firm on the things that he has given us stand firm in what you know is truth and what he has been proclaiming to you for these entire times it's not time to give up on these things but it's time to be strengthened inside of it in Jesus name and so tonight I'm going to conclude with this story and I want you to think about this and think about these people here. Several years ago, this is from David Myers again. He says, several years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Uganda on a missions trip. We arrived at the airport and we were quickly picked up and whisked away by the missionary. We traveled by car into the bush and we ministered in a region near Lake Victoria, a region that appeared to have had little influence from Westerners. Cars were non-existent, motorbikes were rare, and a man was considered old at 40 years. Adolescent children cared for toddlers, and most of the children had shaved heads and worm tracks protruding from their scalps. Many eyes were eaten out by parasites, and we ministered in a park where about 800 children had gathered. The missionary told us if we were to return the following year, that half of the children there would no longer be alive. I watched children with little blue buckets from the United Nations look for clean water. And most of the time, they scooped up water out of the mud puddles. Their only hope was Jesus and he scooped them up and wrapped him in his arms of love around them. I realized I had nothing, nothing about which to complain. God never had to do another thing for me. He had already blessed me enough for a lifetime. And my worst day is, be or is better. My worst day is better than their best day. Yet faith and difficulty always brings a savior. Faith in a jail brings a savior. Unwavering faith while facing certain death brings the glory of God. Faith in the middle of uncertain times brings the certainty of God's hand. We have nothing to complain about here tonight. 
We have nothing to complain about the word of God that it was too harsh or too tough for us tonight. We have nothing compared to these circumstances. And believe me, if you have been in one of these countries, you would begin to know and feel what he is saying here more than anything else. But tonight, God wants to give you unwavering faith so that you don't have to worry. You don't have to criticize. You don't have to begin to, to say, man, my day's just a rough day and mope about those things. Believe me, your day has been an incredible day. God is working in it and he wants you to have unwavering faith. You could be John sitting in a jail cell looking at death row because of what you had proclaimed. You could be these children in Africa all over the place these days. We have nothing to complain about, but we have everything inside of us that now says, let me get deep in the word of God. Let me begin to teach it to souls. Let me begin to reach people because I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose compared to those around me. I have nothing to fear in death. I have nothing to fear in what they're going to speak about me in Jesus' name. Let's begin to lift our hands. Let's begin to pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Lord, forgive us, Lord, if we have became so wrapped up in possessions and things around us us, Lord, in idolatry, in unpure hearts, God. Forgive us if we have allowed these things to take an unwavering faith in our lives away from you, God. Lord, I am believing tonight that you are hearing the people, Lord, as they are crying out to you, God, that you are hearing the people, Lord, as we give this worship unto you tonight, God, that you are drawing our hearts closer, God, that tonight, Lord, we are going to walk out of this service, Lord, with an unwavering faith, God, with a desire towards you that is stronger than we have ever had before, God, that we have nothing to complain about, God, nothing to lose, God, that you do not owe us anything inside of this place, God, and I am believing that in every household, God, that as they repent, God, and give these things to you, Lord, that you will begin to lift them up, God, you will begin to pour that faith inside of them, God, that they can pray for one another, God, and see the sick healed, God, and know that you have them in their circumstance, God, Lord, that you have them in your control, God, that you can help them through the circumstance that they might be in right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, I am believing, Lord, that that power is flowing through our city tonight, God, help this church to rise to a new apostolic height, God, where your power and your authority flows through these people, Lord, as they reach for souls, God, where your unwavering faith helps them to stand in the midst of circumstances that look unreasonable, God, or unfavorable. But Jesus, by your authority, Lord, you have instilled that, God, you have given them the ability to resist sin, to fight back against things, Lord, that we have no one we needed to cut ties with. And Jesus, it is by your authority that tonight, Lord, we can have that unwavering faith in Jesus' name. If you believe that tonight, then let's shout a praise unto him and thank him for all that he has done in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus. Yes, God. Oh, we believe Oh, Jesus, you 
Jesus, let that go, Oh, Jesus, tonight. Jesus, tonight in your name. Hallelujah. Mm. Hallelujah, Jesus. If you feel that prayer meeting tonight, you let it continue in your house in Jesus' name. We're going to stop the live stream, but let the power of God infiltrate your house tonight. Let the power of God carry you into your work. Get up tomorrow morning and saying, you know what? I am an apostolic and I have unwavering faith. Come to church this Sunday ready for the Pentecost to fall here just like it did thousands of years ago in Jesus' name. Be ready for these things and God will do them in his mighty name, in Jesus' name. One last thing I want to say, get a hold of Brother Mike if you have not heard about the men's camping trip. It will happen later in June, and we will announce it later in Jesus' name. But let God impact you tonight. Have an unwavering faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus.